the Women of Color STEM Conference presents The Changing Faces in Fintech, a professional development seminar. Featuring CEO of Ascent Small Business, Tisha Hammond, IT Product Systems Chief Architect for the Boeing Company, Prem Chaco, Client Services Leader for the Boeing Company, Andrea Allen, IT Application Manager and Professor for Canton Township and Northwood University, Dr. Tasha Paget, and Vice President of Technology Operations for J.P. Morgan Chase Company, Kim Wilson. For many years, financial services have had a dominant grip on the market with little change to their business strategies. But today's businesses are facing demands from new visionaries that are providing a multitude of services and greater customer experience. Entrepreneurs are opening new opportunities for women, businesses, and consumers as they unlock new territories on the economy. Female fintech trendsetters are changing the current market from the old guard and redesigning a better, more gender-friendly financial services approach in areas such as banking, capital markets, investment management, and insurance by adding more female leadership and technology to the mix. New approaches such as crowdfunding, peer-to-peer -peer lenders, mobile payment, digital currencies, and more will benefit customers by expanding choices and increasing competition. Without further ado, the Women of Color STEM Conference presents The Changing Faces in Fintech, featuring Tisha Hammond, Prem Chaco, Andrea Allen, Dr. Tasha Paget, and Kim Wilson. How many people are here at the conference for the first time this year? Wow, but well, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. And while we're waiting for our last panelist, um, does everybody have business cards? Okay, because I had some folks who um, at an earlier session um, was freaking out because they forgot their business cards. If you have a LinkedIn profile, you can use the QR code to kind of stay connected um, in lieu of a business card, right? So you open it up, you scan it, and you're automatically connected to the person. You don't have to worry about, um, I don't have a business card or I don't have enough business cards. So make sure you are utilizing that while you're here. This is an awesome time to be present, not in your phones. And there's amazing, amazing women here this week. So take advantage of it. Um, if you are an award winner, congratulations. Thank you for all your hard work and dedication to the STEM career field. And if you have any questions while we're waiting, in general, it doesn't have to be about this session, ask us, we're here, we're here for you. I was, I was a 2012 winner, um, which is when I first learned about the Women of Color Conference and I've been a part um, and following every year since, uh, paying it forward, right? Because I had such a tremendous experience um, that I wanted to make sure that anybody else who came back had an opportunity to experience what I experienced. You were a winner, right? Yes. <laughs> I think I mentioned it in one of the previous seminars. So I was a 2012 award winner as well. And both Andrea and I are part of the committee for Boeing. So I think for us, we were so excited as winners back in 2012 that we came back again and again to help out and actually promote future winners as well as helping support and coordinate all the activities on behalf of Boeing. So. Uh, I would say the experience is tremendous. I mean, it goes back to what Andrea had said, um, meeting so many inspirational women and learning their stories has such an impact because you see that yourself in them a lot of times or you see a, a part of your story in the way they tell your, their experiences. So it's always nice to empathize and feel that uh, excitement, whether it's an accomplishment or a difficult time. So I think that's the beauty of these conferences is you will share and feel those moments with these, the people you're here with, so. Okay, so my first, can you hear me? So I am Tisha Hammond, um, and my first 
taste of stem, I didn't realize I was tasting stem. So I didn't know to ask questions or to look for advice or information. But if you can imagine, I was a person who was protecting your borders here at home and abroad in other countries as well. Not your borders, our borders. Uh, and we used a lot of technology to do that, you know, in addition to just having human training and, and police training and things of that nature. And I didn't realize I was kind of getting fascinated with simple equipment that I needed to do um, a very important job with. I didn't know to ask questions. But when I came out of law enforcement and ended my career in civil rights advocacy, I opened up an online training academy, which I, I need to know technology. I need to have in my network, in my ecosystem, uh, people who are more advanced in learning management systems and financial services and e-commerce than I am. And so I began to not only network and try to find where are those people at and do a lot of online searches, but I asked for mentoring as quickly as I could for technology, particularly in the field of e-commerce marketing and um, things like that. So I guess for me, I've been in STEM since high school. So, but I wish someone would have told me earlier to never be fearful of learning new things. Because in high school, I've always said, oh, I'm going into database. I'm all about applications and numbers. I want to just develop a computer program. I don't want to do anything infrastructure. I don't like building computers. That was not a desire of mine at all. Little did I know that one day I would become IT director of a university. And guess what? I need to know it all. And where that one area where I was very fearful about learning more about, um, where it was basically male dominant, you know, and they were like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to servers. When I sat down and actually learned more than what I learned in the book to graduate from, you know, past the class, I realized I was smarter than them. They didn't know what they were doing. So I really felt like if somebody would have just took me aside and told me stop being fearful of the unknown and the uncomfortableness and to actually take the time and jump in, then I would have been as way greater than what I am right now because I feel like I'm the bomb, dig diggity. Nobody can tell me anything when it comes to IT. So, I mean, just as they spoke about earlier, know your brand, know your worth. Um, I had to take that step and switch jobs to basically, because I knew my worth. I knew that I can go ahead and lead a whole city IT department because I am now comfortable with the infrastructure side as well as the application side. I can build a application and tell you what type of server and whether we need to go to cloud or not. So. My advice is don't be fearful. I will add, um, coming from the engineering manufacturing world, it is really a boys club. So sometimes in meetings in the past, I would have to yell even louder just to be heard. And then I stopped my approach. I'm like, why am I yelling to be heard? I mean, I may be the only female on the call or might be the only female in the room, but I was like, okay, let me build my street credibility. And what I mean by that is I might have to do a little more homework and research before the meetings. So that way when I do show up, I know what I'm talking about and it's clear and it's, and it's concise and it builds that respect. So that way I don't have to scream anymore or be the loudest, but I've built that credibility. And sometimes I think if you go back to STEM, they want to recognize that you know you're stuck, you're stuck right? So what is it gonna take for your behalf to feel confident when you have to step up and talk about it or if you have to solve that difficult problem? Build that street credibility. And I think just to add something different is it's all right to fail, right? Because that's where you learn the most. It's okay to go into something that you're not comfortable in because that's where you've had the most, the most growth, right? Um, we always like to take the easy jobs. People like to take the easy jobs because they, they're comfortable, they know they can be successful. Sometimes you gotta take those hard jobs and fail because that's where you learn the most, that's where you grow the most, and that's where a lot of the opportunity comes. Okay, well it looks like our panelist, Kim, has joined us, so we can get started.
Thank you all for staying patient and, and your engagement. I think we've been having some really good sessions today, so we really appreciate the questions so far as we were waiting. Okay, so with that, <laughs> okay, so I'll go ahead and do a quick intro um, for sake of time. I am Prem Chaco. I am your moderator for are the changing faces in fintech. But again, as you're hearing from the different panelists here today, it's not just from the financial tech. We have experts here that are in other parts of industry, so don't feel like it's, it's boxed between that. Um, I work for the Boeing company. I am um, an IT chief architect for product systems. So if you think about all of the systems and applications that help design and build and operate aircraft at the Boeing company, I'm leading that IT architecture uh, for the company, so that's my role. Hi, good afternoon. I'm Andrea Allen. I also work at the Boeing Company. Um, I currently work in our leadership uh, capabilities and orga organization. Um, I'm the client services leader for our BDS division, which is a military based out of Arlington, Virginia. Um, and I do a lot of work with um, learning technologies and previous to that, um, HR technologies and project management. Hi, I'm Dr. Tasha Padgett. My past experience has been an IT director over um, the finance department for a community, I mean for a university, as well as the IT director for a credit union. I'm currently the IT manager over Canton Township and I'm a professor. So I teach programming, management, and business courses. So I eat, breathe, sleep, <laughs> technology. So that's me. I love technology and I love teaching others technology. My name is Tisha Hammond. Hi, Camille. How are you? I am the small business cheerleader and my role in FinTech and technology is that in the course of delivering one-on-one -on -one consulting, business coaching, and speaking, and the things that I developed my business for, uh, I learned that people wanted fast, in-demand topics that they could easily access when I wanted to be asleep. So I developed an online training academy, um, and I use um, various technologies to help me meet the needs of my customers. Hi guys, my name is Kim Wilson. I am Vice President of Technology Operations for JP Morgan Chase. Um, my team actually supports all of the communication, training, um, you name it, for the cybersecurity and technology control organization. Thank you, and glad we have such a great uh, accomplished panel here. And so to begin with, I'm just gonna kind of level set on the topic. Um, so right now, if we think about FinTech, and when we say changing faces, we're really talking about trend setting. What are those influences that definitely impact how we're doing transactional services, how we're uh, creating that mindset and persona back to our customers, and what are those things that impact it? So if it's, um, if we think about mobile payments, digital currencies, benefits, but then again, I wanna definitely expand it beyond the FinTech industry. What are some of those technology trends that are impacting our businesses? How do we see that when we think about changing faces? So with that, I'll start with the first question. Um, again, uh, understanding how automation works. I mean, quite a few industries are automating quite a bit a lot of their processes. They're using a lot of more automated systems, uh, financial sector and beyond. Um, how do we really drive that more informative service back to our customers? Um, so I think, Tasha, if you want to take um, some input on this first one. So one of the ways that we really are trying to bring more services back to our consumers is by trying to have the information really at their hand, their fingertips. If you think about our big consumer base, the majority of our individuals are millennials or they're grown-up millennials. So you think about how it's um, <laughs> a grown. You, so you think of the the point of I think back years like about 10, 15 years ago when I used to pay my bills, I wrote a million checks. Now I don't write a check. Only time I write a check is when I'm going to church. Mm -hmm. That's the only time I have to write a check. So 
And some churches are even automated where you don't even have to write yeah. a check for church. So you think about how your consumers are really driving and asking you to get the information to them at their fingertips. You have financial, from a township standpoint, I'm gonna think, think about like from a city or a big government standpoint, how many of you all are paying your bills online, your water bill or your taxes or your city taxes or your property taxes? Those are things that our consumers, are, our residents are screaming saying, hey, I don't want to come down to your building to pay mm -hmm. this. I don't want to send something back to you. You have dog licensing that people want. Yeah. <laughs> you, I don't want to have to, I got to get my dog license every year. Can I do this online? So those different financial aspects, our municipalities have to think about how are we going to collect this money? How are we going to make sure you stay secure and you're not putting the information in? But the flip side is you have two different customer base. We have customer base that do not want to touch it. They don't want to log on. They don't want to look at Facebook. They don't want to do anything. So we still have to make sure our, we're able to collect the money electronically as well as have a paper process for them to come in. Statistic-wise, one of the big things that I do is I look at how can I reach out to these individuals that's not comfortable? How can I get the data sets to find out how many people are actually coming in still writing a check or still paying face-to-face. -face. Because guess what? I'm gonna figure out a way to get them online. Because I have to, because we can't keep operating this way. Because if you, from the bottom line, from a financial standpoint, we're paying overhead. We're paying, a, we're paying an employee to process this. We're paying an employee to have to stand at the front counter and wait for someone to come in. There's so many different aspects of my financial standpoint that technology plays a big role, especially in the municipality part. You have contractors that's building new buildings or new houses. We have permits that gotta be put, you gotta pay for all these different things. So from that perspective, we also have to safeguard your identity. We have to safeguard and make sure the way you're paying, you're not gonna be hacked because I have been a victim of identity theft. I thought I couldn't get, I do everything. I'm, no, they stole my identity too. They am, Amazoned up some, item oh my goodness so i'm just saying you don't never know because the same way we're working to keep you safe they're working to to get you so you have to think of every aspect of how no matter what you're doing whether you're going i'm a big crafter whether i'm shopping at joann's or michael's they have their apps they have the coupons i'm doing technology with them all the time i'm digital coupons Know that if you use a digital coupon and a paper coupon, you can get the same amount. <laughs> but just saying those different things, somehow Joanne's and Michael have not thought, figured it out that I'm using two coupons. I got the digital coupon and the paper coupon. So I'm almost getting the item for free. So, so those are things that from a technology standpoint, we have to look at to make sure people, we have to find those hacks. We have to find those ways and put those secure points in so that we won't lose money, so. Okay, so we'll kind of move to the next topic. Um, so if we look at the technologies we're driving, we talked a lot about them today, they're increasing our efficiency and they're giving us more productivity. How does that impact the workforce and what do we see some opportunities? So um, let's see, uh, camera Andrea, you guys wanna input? Yeah, so, so from our perspective, right, I, like I said, I manage and support a group that does all access administration. We actually have a support group that's called our operations team. Those are the individuals who are actually receiving those requests via the system. We are working to put automation in place to eliminate that, right? So it's an app to app versus human to app. And so where we see the efficiencies for our space is that we'll be able to process a heck of a lot more tickets because it will go through the automation. Where we are working to figure out the gaps is, we all understand computers are finicky. You will have automation failures. We already know that, right? You're gonna have to have a human being somewhere in the mix. And so we have to figure out what that balance looks like because right now we have over 9,000 applications in the firm we need to identify what the body of individuals, what that team looks like that's going to support those automation failures. Because we cannot, even as fast as we're moving in technology, it's not smart to think that we will eventually no longer need people. Even though we begin to see some of that right now, 
it's not realistic for us to believe that it's always going to be automation it's going to work perfectly and so those are the pieces that we're trying to figure out how do we measure that how do we identify the group right we can't we don't want to cut too many of those roles and move those roles into other things like helping us understand how the automation failures can be minimized right so it's all brand new to us we're all kind of thinking through those pieces but that's just one very small part of what we're trying to look at holistically when we think through the next steps especially as it relates to technology and what that looks like for our organization uh, and just um expanding um on what kim talked about for us at hr right we're looking at ways to redefine job processes how we're doing some of the lower level work, right? In HR, it's a lot of process, right? You gotta go through forms. You gotta go through different steps to, if we wanna retire, um, if we wanna promote people, right? So we're, we're, like, we're looking at that and trying to find ways to automate that. Give that to maybe some AI or some web bots that, that's out there now so that they can do the, the, the work that's a lower complexity, right? And that frees up our employees to go work on more complex things, right? Um, dealing with more of the human issue, right? Because there's just certain things that's in the human experience that you cannot automate as, you know, more to, to Kim's point. Um, so, you know, on, on the HR side, that's kind of what we're doing. Um, and our manufacturing, Clem, you can talk about that as well. Um, we've moved away from a lot of things to help the employee, right? Um, from things like riveting, um, repetitive jobs where people will get in carpool tunnel and or painting mm. with fumes, right? All automated, but also helping our employees be healthier, right? So automation can be really good if it's used in the right places. And I think that's some of the stuff that we're focused on um, for the future of workforce. Yeah, just to touch on what Andrea is saying, I think this is a very key point we should all be considering as we're looking at productivity and efficiency, what do you need to do to kind of take a self inventory of your own skills to say, okay, some of these skills I have right now are very manual. What are some new skills I can learn to be ready when these things disrupt your career, right? So for example, you may be very proficient at doing some manual processing in Excel. But guess what? There might be a system out there two years from now that will take over that. So what else, what other skill set do you need to kind of be in front of in the next year or two to be ready for that? So you can be more marketable. <laughs> All right. <laughs> next question. Uh, what are some of the current trends, which goes back to the changing faces, uh, that make a huge impact? but are, are probably the most harder ones to implement. So think about impacts and trends and which ones are harder to implement that will benefit your business. Okay. And I believe uh, Tasha and Tisha, Tisha might have some thoughts. So how many people have experienced caring for an older loved one? So this morning, my mom who lives with me, oh, wanted me to drive her to the bank. And this is not an odd or foreign idea for us. This is something she asked me to do regularly. And I've been trying very hard to encourage mommy to sign up for mobile banking. Because it's not working. Because she drove herself to the bank while I was trying to get ready for the conference. Uh, but I say that to say, in the mobile banking environment, uh, it would definitely be helpful for big banks and credit unions and financial institutions to do a lot more awareness to make our seniors and, and those who are golden in our communities feel more comfortable with where their money is going when it's invisible. When that green is now digital and they're like, what'd you just do? Where'd it go? Just provide some simple education and make it attractive enough for the for the older members of our community to embrace it, accept it, and wrap their minds around it. So I'm gonna piggyback on that. So I gave you the example of how we're implementing a lot of things within our, our municipality, but we do have to take in consideration that group of individuals that's not gonna to try to conform to the new technology. Those individuals are not always in their golden years. 
those are some individuals that may be the same age I am or a few years older. Those people are against social media. Those people are against anything that's not. I have a friend that refused to even get on GroupMe. Are, are you familiar with GroupMe? I will. I don't want to be on a group text. I don't want to see what everybody else's responses is. Just pick up the phone and call me. She is only 48 years old. And I'm like, really? I mean, it's so difficult to communicate with some individuals when they refuse to even embrace a little bit of change. So I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, it makes it hard for any kind of organization or any kind of corporation, anybody, anyone to implement any kind of technologies when you have some individuals that don't want to embrace change. They do not want to communicate differently. I look at, I have two teenagers. They don't know anything about picking up a phone. They text me everything. They could be in the other room and text me. So it's like, I'm thinking, what is gonna happen when I get older and I can't hardly see? And they're gonna be texting me. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, that's, so in the future, you think about how does this generation communicate? They don't, they communicate differently. They don't want to pick up the phone and call a, a company and say, hey, can I have help doing, they want to find that information on, by themselves online. So if your organization does not have a website that's interactive, don't just have a website that has to say, oh, this is my website. Your website actually has to have some functionality to it you won't have them as a customer. So I think right there, um, our consumers need to embrace change as well as our organizations need to understand the culture is changing. So if we can come up with some kind of way, some kind of educational seminars that just say, hey, we give you some money if you come and mm -hmm. we can show you how to do the different things. So I think it's some people even on this panel that don't wanna look at social media so I'm just saying, we, we really have to be able to embrace the difference of how every generation communicates differently. And that's all around for everyone. So I think that's where, where it's going to be difficult to implement some of our strategic goals in the future. And I'll, I'll say from, the, from our aspect, right? So we, just like we are looking for ways to make it attractive to our millennials, right? we can't forget the individuals that were part of how we got to where we were in the first place, right? And so we have now kind of talked, I think we were talking about this earlier, um, identifying the personas of the individuals that we need to be targeting and how do we want to do that, you know? Before you would have just thought, oh, well, it's, no fine. it's okay, we'll lose them. We, we can't do that, right? Because if we don't find out how to cater to them, someone will, right? And you will lose that, those, those customers. So we can't just think, future and technology and all of that good stuff, we have to figure out how we make our individuals and customers who've been with us for years comfortable with what this transition looks like. And so where we would have just laid a blanket over it and said, here's how we're gonna do it, we are wise and we are smart enough to realize you've gotta identify those personas. What group of individuals are we trying to target for this particular market? And more importantly, how do we go about doing that? I, I was gonna say that, like, so for us, it's the retirees. Like, yep. We just rolled out a new, technology-based um, platform workday, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we, we have a whole population of people who are retired, right? Now we're telling them that they have to go on this website to find their information. Mm -hmm. And these are people that may not be tech savvy. At right? all. At all. Mm -hmm. So now we're saying, hey, we know you're not tech savvy, but if you want your information, this is where you got to get it. Yep. Right, so we, we have to be more empathetic mm -hmm. to the fact that we may need to bring them in or have some kind of training program yep. for them to go get their information. Yep. Right, because they want to call. Yep, they, they do. Wanna, they want to know who they can call. So. All right, well, on the same lines, um, next question. How do our consumers really influence these trends? I mean, we kind of touched a little bit on it, um, but specifically for the areas of your business? I'll start. I think for us, like I said, it, it's it's the people, right? Um, when, you're, when you're in HR, you're dealing with people. Um, in our business, we're more of a business to business um, more than a business to consumer, so it's a little different for us because our customers, the airlines, our customers, the military, but the end users are the people, right? So 
um, I think for us, it's what the people want. And it's kind of been the theme that all of us have been talking about this far. What do the people want? I think that drives for us what we go out and create, right? We did, we put out a Dreamliner aircraft that had more space, bigger windows, more technology, right? Because that's what people wanted. They, they wanted to feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm flying, but maybe not so much in something small and, and crowded, right? So we listen to what the people want and, and that's the technology we put out. And we follow kind of that same mindset, right? With the demographics. So we are still building brick and mortar buildings. We are still building buildings that you can actually go in and there's a teller and people are like, why would you do that? Well, because we're building it in the areas where, where it's needed, right? We have, um, we have a community that's not very far from where I live, Sun City. It is a retiree community, right? We are building those buildings because they like to go in. They, built, they build relationships with their bankers, right? So it's a way of us actually listening to the consumer and then showing them that we, we get it, right? Would we build five or six or 10 in New York? Probably not. Right, but it's the demographic and understanding where your customers are. And to your point, what is it that they need? Let's not create stuff that they don't, right? But let's think through and talk to them and ask the questions. Yeah, and I'll just add, coming from the engineering side, we're we're making a huge transition from designing from 2D to 3D. So I always struggle when I talk to my teams. It's like they can't think that way but yet it has to be driven that way, right? They're very black and white. So if I present a, a picture of a part, they're like, how do you know if that calculation's right? Or show me all the details, right? So you have to be very cognizant of those perspectives of your, as you're developing trends, right? So the trend is now 3D, but how do you make sure that people can really see and feel confident with that particular piece, so. You're listening to the Changing Faces in Fintech, featuring Tisha Hammond, Prem Chaco, Andrea Allen, Dr. Tasha Paget, and Kim Wilson. Brought to you by the Women of Color STEM Conference, uniting women in STEM by continuing the press for progress. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I think as a business owner uh, it's pretty fascinating to watch me for me to watch what i know as a gig economy everybody familiar with that term gig economy okay so imagine you're a solopreneur and you are looking for your next gig you're a con you're a contractor you're a consultant um you're a hairdresser whatever the case may be you you're working on gigs essentially in the course of doing business and it's my business has evolved based on consumers in this gig economy wanting a subscriber economy so it's very clear we subscribe to our monthly phone bills right to our tv to um, apple pay to youtube tv um, everybody can get in on this subscriber thing and so my business evolved toward that model as well. Well, okay, well, people might want more of my consulting than just one-on-one. -on -one. Now they want it on demand when they want it in the middle of the night, in the morning, on the weekend. Okay, well, are they willing to pay for a course per month? You know, is my website able to make money while I sleep? And that's how this see, subscriber economy, at least, has, has definitely helped change my business model for the better. All right, great ad. So um, going kind of into um, areas of entrepreneurship, I believe previous sessions kind of touched on that. Um, how do we keep having that entrepreneurial mindset while being innovative? But I would also challenge for this audience here as women of color, how do you see yourselves as entrepreneurs with your own career? So I'm gonna kind of change up the question a little bit because we were talking about innovation, but how do you see yourselves as entrepreneurs with your own career as well? I'll start. I was talking to um, a young lady who was in our other session before we came. Um, and we, were, we had just started talking and she was like, 
um, I'm at a point in my career where I just, I need to do something different. I just don't know what that is. And I said, me too, because you kind of get bored, right? You, you need a challenge. And so when you think about kind of where we are in this space, right? Like I shared with, in our last one, you have the opportunity to start an entire room of new, new friendships, new businesses, new groups, right? To kind of think through, like what would that next thing be? Like I told her, I said, I think I want to write a book. She's like, I don't want to write a book and I don't want to read any more books. That's fine, <laughs> right? But like always be thinking about what that looks like and how you keep yourself relevant, right? I think is the key. Um, this is my first time at this, at this session. It's my first time moderating before. Um, but they were like, you want to do it? I'm like, sure. I mean, what's the worst thing to happen? I'll be late. Sorry about that. Um, but overall, right? You walk out of this type of a seminar with um, amazing new friends, um, a lot more information than you knew before, and hopefully having the opportunity to have shared your real life experiences with individuals that are kind of in that same space now um, and are thinking, okay, I, I now kind of know where I need to go and, and kind of how I need to get there. Like, I don't, I don't want this to be a one and done and we just do this every year. Like, I'm gonna call Stephanie at home, I'm sure, uh, about stuff. But that's kind of what, you, you kind of have to just think through that, right? Like, what is your next big thing for you? I guess for me to answer that question, I have the mindset that everyone's gonna have a million careers in your lifetime. So one of the big things I've told my daughters, I have two teenagers, I said, choose something that you love to do because you never want your career to feel like a job. So for me, I am starting, I love crafts. I love crocheting, I love painting, I love sewing, I love it all. So it's to the point now that I have people that ask me to do stuff for them. They let me know when they get pregnant immediately so that they know they're gonna get this personalized blanket because even though I have all these different other things going on, I have two track stars. So I have lots of time to crochet or just to sit there because you wait a whole day to see them run two minutes. But, <laughs> but with that, what I decided I was gonna do, and I've kind of been pushed into it, is that I'm now starting to create my own online classes on how to do different crafts. Something I like to do, I already teach, I already know how to do the online thing. Um, my dissertation was actually on online learning, so I know how to do it all. So it's funny because I've been pushed into it, and now I'm starting to really enjoy it. And that's where my next job, or I feel like my career is gonna be when I retire, I'm just gonna be sitting there, posting up, I'm gonna be the new black Martha Stewart. <laughs> hey, did you see how you do this? And they're gonna be paying for my classes on demand, on demand because if you, as a crafter, if you go out there, there's so many different YouTube channels or things you can subscribe to, and you can get, learn how to do anything you want to. I call it YouTube University. So I'm going to be Dr. Paget teaching you how to do a craft. So that's where I'm. That's where I'm tying in technology with my own entrepreneur goals. I think. Oh, I think for me, I, I've had several careers already. Um, <laughs> I started out in program management, um, but I always had a passion for technology. I also had a passion for people. That's where my love of HR and technology come together and so beautiful, right? Um, I think the thing that I always focused on was what I needed to have in my toolbox to be ready for that next opportunity, right? So sometimes things don't always come to you as a paid opportunity, right? So um, I got involved with our on-site affinity groups, uh, what do they call them now, business resource groups. Um, and I worked through different projects, doing things like that, leading projects, getting involved with stuff. Um, if there was a database that needed to be created, I was like, pick me, right? Because I love technology, right? Even though that wasn't my, that's not what Boeing was paying me to do, I did it, right? Did it well, so that when the next opportunity came and it was a paid opportunity, then they've already seen my work. Right, so I was prepared, right? And so that's how I kind of got into HR um, with a technology background, um, because that's what I was passionate about, right? And 
we have to stay on top of what the trends are and what's happening. And um, people call me all the time. They, so they call me um, the geek squad, you know, like Best Buy. <laughs> so I have a lot of friends that will, if anything, if my iPad's not working, what, yes, this one here, all the time. Um, <laughs> How do I how do I create this? How do I do that? Right, and you can't do that stuff if you're not staying on top of technology. If you don't know what the new innovations are, if there is a new gadget that comes out, honey, I am all over it. <laughs> right, I am the first one. You you want to know what it's about? Call me. I probably either already bought it and returned it if I didn't like it, <laughs> um, or you know. Um, I know somebody who had it and I asked to borrow it so I can play with it to see if I wanted to go purchase it. But there's so many things that you can do to kind of stay in that realm of technology and innovation that there's no, no reason for you not to, you know, be hip to the game as, as, as they say. I think I'm telling my age, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. Um, Dr. Pageant talked about YouTube, uh, University. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, I spend on average about 25 hours on YouTube, and it don't matter what it is. Um, <laughs> I just I watch it like it's TV because I, I'm learning, right? I am learning something. Um, I went on there one day. I was looking up something to show Chanel about hair, and then I ended up on this vegan page, and then I started learning about. Um, uh, pale, paleo, 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 oh, the paleo, paleo diet. diet. Yes. I watched about four hours about the paleo diet. I'm not a paleo, but I can talk to you intelligently about <laughs> paleo right now, right? Um, so it's really just about having a passion for learning and knowing new things um, that I think you know keeps us on the forefront of that. And. Having an entrepreneurial mindset, whether you're working in someone's company or you're working to build your own company, what that means is you've accepted that you have to take some risk because you're chasing a greater reward. Mm -hmm. And that can apply to anybody on a number of different levels. For me, the risk was asking for help and hoping to find people with more of a capability that can collaborate with me and share an economy together and teach me new things that I don't know. I mean, I know we all know the saying, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, right? So I'm, I want to be around people who game. I don't like video games, but the technology and the innovation that supports it and the code and the writing, the creative writing that goes into those things are I need to meet people who do those kind of things because I want to have an interactive website, right? Um, but I say all that to say that teaming up with someone and being an entrepreneur, is it can feel isolating, but it shouldn't be. With all the people that you surround yourself with, um, you should be learning something, striving to learn something new every day, something you don't know or something that challenges what you know. I hear stuff, my mom watches stuff on TV every day that challenges my beliefs. And it's, it's interesting to have conversations that I don't want to have, but they help us both grow. All right, so with that, I think we have about 10 minutes left. So I want to open it up for Q&A. And we have actually a microphone right there in that center table. So if anybody has any additional questions you'd like to ask the panelists. I, I kind of wrote it down, because I'm like, I didn't want to forget it. Um, you guys had talked about a portion where you mentioned um, having older individuals and trying to gear them towards technology and all of those things. Um, one of the things that we do at our company um, is create different platforms for people to look at technology. So we have older um, employees that have a bit of difficulty or those that aren't just, may not be older, but just may not be tech savvy. So um, we create portions of uh, the same technology, SAP or whatever it is, and make it look different for them. So it's like quick click buttons. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's something that can be created too for um, 
the even the financial institutions. So you make it a little bit more simpler for an older individual to mm -hmm. just click on and just get into it. And it's something different than what someone else like myself may see. So it's a particular one that's just specially for them. I, I don't know. But um, some of the other things that I started thinking about too, a question that I had for you guys was, when you're trying to transition them over into new technology, um, are you afraid of losing that interaction with people? Because that's the piece that too, that you gain a lot from, from folks if you just co totally go technology-wise. Even though we all wanna go tech, I know I love technology, I love new things. Uh, when I saw the uh, Visa item that we had earlier where they were talking about using the cars and all those things was great, but how do, how do you still have that personalized interaction with people too, to keep that, that piece going? Oh, I'm sorry. My name is China Threat, and I work at Consumers Energy. Um, it's a utility company here in Michigan. Yeah. So I'll take a stab at it. Um, so I'm thinking about DNI in the perspective of, if you think about generational, we heard about <laughs> Tasha's uh, children saying they're in the next room and they text, right? Yeah. And they don't really have. The inter, you know the interaction right and then you hear about some of the older generation saying I need to talk to somebody on the phone right or you just need to look at yourself to understand what you need to have for your own regulation do you need to have that interaction are you an extrovert are you an introvert and then you kind of have to decide your own threshold to me it's almost like you have to kind of take a step back and say do I need to have a break from my technology because it's overloading me I'm not feeling regulated or myself, maybe you need to do that. For others, it's, it's a different story, right? They, they operate, they live, breathe technology, and that keeps them regulated. So to me, I think it's all about perspective, honestly. I don't think there's a right answer for everyone. I, I think with regards to, the, to our industry, right, it's understanding that mix. And so we kind of get back to the personas. You can't take the human aspect out of it for a certain group of individuals. You just can't. You find a way to mix the piece of the technology and gradually get them comfortable with what that looks like. But again, you can't just remove the human aspect of it. And so we're kind of being forced to think about our business differently. Um, you know, just like I say, we're catering for the millennials and you know, they want this, this, and this. Um, your retirees have the money your millennials will get there, but your business is based here. So we need to make sure we're focused on them just like we're focused on these millennials, right? Um, I get it, I understand that, but we have to look at business differently. We have to restructure what that looks like. You cannot just say, this is what we're gonna do for everybody and figure it out. I think that also goes into play of, that's one of the primary reasons why I'm big on data. So I have to see how many people are we still doing it this way, so that when it gets to the point when we only doing it this way for one person, do we just let that one person go? Or do we still try to cater to that one individual? So from the bottom line standpoint, a lot of times the organization is looking at, you know, is it, is it, could we afford this one loss because we're paying a salary, we're paying all these different things to accommodate one individual? Right now, for our township, half the people is that way. So we're gonna be still doing it that way for a while because they, their houses are paid off. They're not going anywhere, so. I think that um, Prim and Kim, mm -hmm. Kim touched on something important, right? It's the inclusion part, right? You wanna make sure that everybody feels like they're not lost in the process, right? And, and I think that's important. China, thank you for your comment. I'm gonna take that back to the credit unions and banks that I was speaking about and share that maybe they can look to consumers energy as a, a model and, and best practice for the kind of information that I was sharing. As a business owner, I don't want to lose a customer but the reality is, is that business is two ways. I get to choose my customer as much as they get to choose me. And believe me, I want to do everything that I can to meet the customer's need. So for bigger businesses, I imagine that they have people 
who are the, the, profit, the profit first people. And then those are the people in the background making, making money deals, making transactions, being innovative and doing great things. And then they have the, the people first people, you know, when you walk in, who are there to remind you that, hey, China, it's good to see you. How's your, you know, how's your family doing? You, some people need that. It, it kind of reminds me of at networking events. Some people need to walk away with a tangible something from you, like a business card. Other people could care less to have your business card. They want you in their cell phone. You got to be prepared and ready for both. Okay, my name is uh, Melanie Drake. I'm from JP Morgan, so hello. I'll see you later. Hello. <laughs> um, so, um, my question is about inclusion um, because I think we're having these conversations about people who need to get on technology because of their age. But what about people who just don't have the resources? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that we have to remember. And, and to your point, if, you have your, if you're an entrepreneur and you're picking your customer, that's one thing. But we have to remember there are lots of people who just don't have, I remember we had an intern and he was paying for the internet for his home. Mm -hmm. he, before he took the internship, he, they did not have internet at their home. So they are being left behind when we do not provide a way for people to access it. Excuse me. For, for us, we actually do, we think about that. So we actually provide PCs and we provide, <clears throat> excuse me, technology so for people can actually come in and use it. They can pay, because now for our township, you can only pay online for your water bill. <coughs> I'm sorry. So with that, we, I, that's what I was, that was a big point. I said, well, what about the people who don't have a computer? And they were like, everyone has a computer. I'm like, everyone does not have a computer because right. some people go to the library for the computer. Right. So I'm like, we have to make sure. So that was one of the key things for us. We actually had to put a computer at the counter because when those people come in to try to pay with paper, they have to direct them. You have to pay online right here. But uh, another factor that we have to take in consideration is ADA compliance because mm -hmm. those are a lot of individuals who can't see our screens a certain way, or we have to make sure everyone can actually have, is capable of getting the information. So that's a great question. And that's one thing that we, from a consumer standpoint, from a, we have to do that. So um, that was a big thing. Um, just recently, we had to redo our whole website and all our apps, because they had to be ADA compliant. So we had to have the ability so that if you want to report a sidewalk repair, no matter what, you can be able to do it. But I, you know, you have the mindset. Well, how would they know the sidewalk needs to be repaired? But you don't know what type of disability they have. So, just the equity piece. Yes. Right. So, Melanie, you're actually speaking a language that I love, because to me, when I hear you ask that question, what I hear you possibly inferring, or what I infer from that, is getting back to the heart of community. Right. The reality is. There are people walking amongst us who are gonna sleep on the street over some thermal heating unit, if possible, tonight, right? Over a manhole. Who have, there are homeless children. I was personally homeless when I was 12 years old and I didn't have access to some of the things that other kids around me did. And it was okay, we got through it, thank God. But the reality is there are plenty of homeless children in our school districts, mm -hmm. um, whether it's um, Detroit, public community schools, is that what, is is that what it is now? Or Farmington or Southfield? Yeah, I can speak on that. But the point that I, and the point that I'm trying to make is that I think it's gonna take public and private partnership. When you, so public being community organizations, private being corporate dollars. So a lot of nonprofits that have a heart to kind of address the issue and the problem that you're speaking to don't necessarily raise the funds to do it effectively and to maintain or sustain that kind of programming. But when we can get the partnership with the corporate dollars, whether we're gonna call it diversity dollars or some kind of corporate spend, then we can hopefully get the volunteers to go out and, and present the solution to the people who need it most. That's gonna take transportation, that's gonna take feet on the ground, that is gonna take a lot of collaboration and people with a heart to do it do you know of any organization or effort like that going on? It's called Gaim Givers.
Yeah, J.P. Morgan does a, phen a phenomenal job with that. Not only do we have the force for good, but you even have the ability to build a, a group within your organization. So our global identity access management is Guide Givers. And we have um, groups in Texas, Buenos Aires, we have two in India, we have Texas, we have Tampa, we have New York, and we have Columbus. And what we do is we literally go out and find agencies within our organization, organi within our community that we can give back to. Um, as of right now, find some wood. We don't have a budget, so we just spend what we want and wait for somebody to say something. <laughs> Luckily, for two years straight, nobody said a word, so it's great. Um, but we've done things like um, we went to an organization called Joshua House, and we had a water day for 30 um, children that are in, um, in foster care. Um, we had three huge water bounce houses. We had 6,000 water balloons, and it was the best day we ever had in our life. Um, and that kind of piece that you are able to give back, I think, speaks volumes. But we, J.P. Morgan does a phenomenal job with that. I, I think we do a really, really good job with that. Yeah, to echo uh, Tisha and Kim's thoughts, I think that public partnership and private is so key. Think about it, the conference in the next few days, K through 12, is gonna walk through a room, and a lot of them probably do not have the exposure to some of these technologies we're talking about. But guess what? Having them be a part of a session is gonna impact them for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. It may consider for them an opportunity to say, you know what, I like that technology, I wanna learn more about it, yep. right? So it's so important that we start early to promote and expose, right? Because otherwise we're leaving more and more people behind. We're still gonna talk about this gap that we're talking about right now with your question, which was a great question. Hi, I'm Felicia Webb from NPower, and um, I'm also a grantee of J.P. Morgan Chase. So we actually have neighborhood builders in um, Texas and New Jersey, and we're now um, launching in Detroit. And we do tech training for you know for disenfranchised communities. Mm -hmm. And so one of my questions, going back to yours around inclusion, is that even though we offer free tech training for our um, for young youth, 18 to 25, and in some communities, veterans, you have dense populations of people where they don't even have Wi-Fi access. So, you know, much less our transportation to get to the library to do the studying for the module. So it's like a modern day redlining. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, you know, there's these dead zones where you have the most dense population of people living. And I guess my question would be, as the change makers, the influencer, influencers in tech, you know, having the leverage as the corporate people in the community versus the nonprofits like us saying, we need these communities to have Wi-Fi. Um, how can the public-private partnerships work better in terms of turning that policy around to make sure all has access to basic things where Wi-Fi should be basic you know, opportunity? So I can address that from a small business perspective. Uh, if, if you have an opportunity to join an association that has some name recognition to it, and it aligns with your morals and values, and you can see yourself being active in that organization, then consider doing that quickly if, if possible. Because organizations that have name power, brand power, brand power, name recognition, get corporate dollars. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know a more clear, direct way to say that. If you wanna be involved uh, in changing things, write, call, be at the doorsteps of your representatives from the city to the county to the state to Washington, D.C. It doesn't matter to me if you have to write or call 900 times to get somebody's attention. It will get somebody's attention. Um, and that's what they're there for. We put people in place to be responsive to our needs in the legislature, and we ought to ensure that people do their jobs and, and, and promote what we're asking them to promote. Some other opportunities, right, are in the small grassroots things, right? Um, we have a lot of employees who um, have started uh, community initiatives, small, right, that has grown, right, because once they put it out there, um, we may have some people doing some mobile things where they've gotten um, some sponsorship for maybe four or five laptops and they're driving them around to different community centers, right? And it, starts picking up steam, right, through social media, 
then you have sponsors reaching out and um, getting involved and wanting to donate more computers or you know more Wi-Fi hotspots and, and things like that. So you talk about your question in an in innovative state, right? There, there's many ways to get at it. Um, but like, like um, Tisha said, it, it's gonna take a lot of courage to you know, take the first step towards it. Exposure, exposure, exposure. Because one thing I did, not, I did not mention, my job between this job was I worked for the state of Michigan over education. I did all, if you live in Michigan, I know you heard about Count Day yesterday. Mm -hmm. That was me. That's, that's what I used to do. I used to support all the applications for count day. And with that, what people don't really realize is a lot of times, like Tisha mentioned about homelessness, it's in every community. We had homeless students that were in Birmingham and Bloomfield Hills, all those different areas. But guess what? The one community that usually got the most recognition was Detroit or the Flints or the Lansing the underprivileged communities because somebody was out there screaming, they need help. But if you don't have enough people out there giving you exposure, you're not gonna get any help. What my mom always says, closed mouths don't get fed. Mm -hmm. So if they don't know about it, they don't know it's an issue, no one's gonna be there to help you. I mean, Detroit um, has, they have a program where if your child graduates from a Detroit school and actually has a certain GPA and score so high, they can be, pretty much go to any school in the state of Michigan for four years for free. A lot of people don't understand that. That's the same way they have that for Lansing, they have that for a lot of underprivileged. But if you don't, if you don't sit up here and scream, I need help, we need to help this, this area, no one's there getting ready to write the big check to assist you. So it takes someone to actually be the first person to say, help. I go in a lot of different committees for consumers energy and, and also I work out in the field with my customers as you know I do HVAC. And so one of the things that I found is the commissioners, the board of commissioners that we have in the state of Michigan, um, the one that services Oakland County, she prints, she had printed out a document which provided us a list of all the services that were available to the community, people in the community for free. And a lot of people they missed opportunities because they didn't know that these opportunities existed. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a lot of lack of communication. It's not even miscommunication. It was a lack of communication. And so that's the biggest, I think the biggest problem is people, they pay their tax dollars for services that, that they don't even know exist. They don't know the benefits of the, where their tax dollars are going so that they can you know, recoup those, those dollars that they put out into the communities. That's really a sad thing. Uh, I'm going to share this one little thing that, um, just in case there's somebody in here that may know something or know someone that, have this, that has this need as we approach the heating season. Um, there was an organization, OSA. They had a program in place called the Weatherization mm -hmm. Project. And if you made less than $55,000 and your furnace was less than 70% efficient, if I walked in your door and said, I'm so sorry, but you're about to be really cold, but let me give you this tidbit of information. You qualify for a free furnace. Okay, so I let me I give you this information. And, and, and so there were people I was able to help just by virtue of the fact of having this knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, there was a young lady, she, uh, Emily Doerr. She was the uh, city manager for Oak Park, which is where I live. And she's also now a VP at Consumers Energy where I work. And she gave me a packet of information, which I passed on to our CEO, and I passed on to my uh, direct super, uh, supervisor to let them know. There are programs in place for the homeless. When it gets cold in Michigan, I have a list of heating uh, shelters that they can go to, um, things for the senior citizens. There are, there's information out there. But what I also wanted to ask you guys, because collectively on that stage, you are some bad women. So <laughs> I'd like to see, you know, for you guys to put your heads together. You see a need for geriatric technology. I just coined that phrase. Yes, I like it. So for the, you know, and especially you because you said your mom is like, I'm going to the bank. My mom is the same way. What at what point and what is it that we can do, you know, um, to make them feel more comfortable 
you know, and then you were speaking of AI, uh, you were, and, and so what can we use AI for, for our geriatric technology project that you guys are about to start, <laughs> uh, to, help, to help everyone feel a little more comfortable using uh, the technology, FinTech, or whatever technology may be accessible to them, mm -hmm. to the end that we are all on the same page at some point. And there doesn't have to be that, that differentiation between those that can and those that don't want to be bothered. Yeah. So I think we'll take a couple more comments and I think we have to end because I, I know we're a little over time. So yeah, no, it's okay. Go ahead. So I would just say, as we're starting this geriatric technology project together, I'm so glad to work on the board with you ladies. Um, <laughs> I think with regarding our older members of our community, we have to be mindful that they have stories to tell and sometimes we forget to ask. Mm -hmm and we don't make time to listen. And sometimes, at least uh, in my life, my parents can't hear things from me. That they, I'm, still, I'm still the person they cleaned up after when I was two years old. They had to hear from somebody else. So when it comes to like banking, my mom is particularly fond of two bank tellers. If I want my mom to do something that I want her to do, I literally have to tell Tammy. Tell Ta my mom this. Tammy, <laughs> would you talk to my mama? Be, you know what I'm saying? But they have stories to share, and, and that was the, the point I wanted to make. I think it goes back to, like I said, they build a relationship with those individuals, right? It's the trust. She trusts Tammy, and it's not that she doesn't yeah. trust her, but she thinks as my daughter, she's trying to take over my life. Yeah. I'm not going to listen to her, but I'll listen to Tammy because Tammy gets it. It's the trust, right? So the human aspect can never go out of, of, of who we are. I don't care how technology savvy we become. Okay, so with that, I just give a round of applause to the panel here. And hopefully you enjoyed this last session. Uh, and just wanna say, hey, have fun the rest of the next few days. There's lots of activities this evening. And the, if you run into any of us, hey, talk, talk, continue the conversation, get connected, LinkedIn, business cards, all that. All right, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Changing Faces in Fintech, a professional development seminar. Featuring CEO of Ascent Small Business, Tisha Hammond. IT Product Systems Chief Architect for the Boeing Company, Prem Chaco. Client Services Leader for the Boeing Company, Andrea Allen. IT Application Manager and Professor for Canton Township and Northwood University, Dr. Tasha Paget and Vice President of Technology Operations for J.P. Morgan Chase Company, Kim Wilson. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Women of Color STEM Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.womenofcolor.net. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.